Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm KW Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And this week we're talking about the movie A Quiet Place Part 2, the Peacock series Sacred Lies, and some fun writing and productivity strategies. That's right. We're going to start off with A Quiet Place Part 2. And I actually have never seen the first one either. Okay. Tell me all about it, because I know a little bit, but not that much. Yeah, so the first movie came out in 2018, and it was directed by John Krasinski, and he's also one of the co-writers, and it stars him and his real-life wife, Emily Blunt, as a married couple with some kids, and it's in a world inhabited by monsters. They're basically alien invaders and the monsters are extremely in tune to sound. They're actually, they don't see with eyes in the way that we do. So in order to evade them, everyone has to be very, very quiet. Okay. And in this family, one of the children is deaf. Oh. So the family all already knows sign language, and that makes it a little bit easier for them to navigate this new world. Mm-hmm. So the first movie is extremely tense. It is very sad. It's very upsetting and stressful, all those things. It's not very gory. So in terms okay. of it being a sci-fi horror type movie, you absolutely would have zero problem with it. Okay, it's just cool. a very tense kind of thriller sort of sort of pacing. That's good to know. Yeah. So that's the first movie. The second movie takes place very shortly after the events of the first movie. It has some interesting flashbacks to how the aliens invaded. And how that actually happened. In the first movie, we don't actually see what happened. We're just sort of thrown into this world knowing that this invasion has occurred. Mm -hmm. And this is how people have to live. Second movie, we actually at the very beginning see the initial invasion point. And in this movie, it's primarily Emily Blunt's character who is leading their kids through the landscape. And they encounter... This guy whose name is Emmett, played by Killian Murphy, and he is very reclusive. His entire family was killed by the aliens, so he's very he doesn't really want to take this the Abbott family in and help them because he's mourning and very stressed out. Mm-hmm. But he reluctantly agrees to help them. And he and the daughter, Reagan, the hard of hearing daughter, they together go on this journey to try to find a radio signal in order to help find other survivors and alert them and help them because Reagan has figured out that her cochlear implant, if she puts that on a microphone, it causes feedback that can help destroy the aliens uh, because the, the pitch of the noise is like toxic to them and they end up dying. So they've heard this radio transmission, so they decide to go in search of it and so it's kind of like a two-part story where Emmett and Reagan are on this journey to find this radio signal. Evelyn, played by Emily Blunt, is in search of medicine for her son, who has had his foot caught in a bear trap, so he's having an infection. The son is left back in Emmett's bunker with the baby of the family, and um, he has to keep her safe. And it's just, oh my goodness, it's it's a three-part story that's just, again, very, very stressful. And these creatures are running around. And yeah, but the reason that this and again, this is another one where you could absolutely handle it. It's not that gruesome or anything. It's much more like a, like a tense thing. And it's, 
it's not really that bloody or anything, but it is very tense. Okay. And this is airing right now on Paramount Plus. Oh. So if you want to avoid going to an in-person movie, and if you already have Paramount Plus, you can just stream this right now. Awesome. They're also streaming the first film. So okay. I was going to ask that. Yeah, you could get them back to back. Both movies are really, really good for depicting the deaf community, deaf and hard of hearing community in a very positive way. Reagan is 100% heroic. It also shows women being capable left and right. It's great. And uh, Millicent Simmons, who plays Reagan, is hard of hearing in real life. And she was instrumental in the first film of helping people with ASL stuff and helping Krasinski make sure that it was depicted sensitively and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. that's a really cool thing. And he did write and direct this one too, even though he's not really in the second one very much. He's in it a little bit, but it is primarily Emily Blunt's character who is at the forefront in this one. And Killian Murphy is great. He's unrecognizable in this. (laughs) He has this giant frontiersman beard and stuff (laughs) and just doesn't look, he's using an American accent. And so, yeah, it's a very different role for him. But everybody's performance is flawless. It's just, these are very good contemporary sci-fi horror with all these different social layers and constant tension. They're paced very well. And if all you know of John Krasinski is Jim from The Office, he can do much, much more. And so it's very impressive from that regard as well. And Emily Blunt is not just Mary Poppins. So, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I've heard good things about them. Yeah, they're very good. Yeah. Cool. I think they are maybe planning a third one. Okay. This second one got delayed a lot with COVID. They partially filmed during COVID. and But because it's such a small cast and I think a very containable set, they were still able to get it done and get it released. And it was supposed to come out before it did, but it got delayed a bit for COVID. So it would be great if it continues to do well in streaming so mm-hmm. that they can hopefully make a third one. Yeah, I will check those out for sure. Cool. Yeah, I, I just think you would really enjoy them there, especially based on stuff that you've been watching and reading lately. Yeah. They would definitely hit a lot of your requirements for quote unquote safe horror. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I'm always looking for safe horror. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I will say, I saw the original in the theater and it was kind of right before you couldn't really do that mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. And I do remember that even though it is a drama, horror film, very tense, etc. There were bits of it where I wept like a little baby. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of other tragic things that happen. Okay. In the second movie too, but I did not cry during the second movie. Okay. So, that's good to I know. I will leave it at that. Yeah. I will prepare myself for both emotional states, the heightened fear as well as the heightened sadness. <laughs> yes. Be ready. Okay. <laughs> But you've been watching something very different, mm-hmm. this TV show called Sacred Lies. And I am i do want to see this, so I'm very curious about it. Yeah, I think you would definitely find it very interesting. I just kind of ran across it on Peacock one day, and I ended up watching it very quickly. There are two seasons of it. The two seasons are separate. They're not tied together. They're separate stories, mm-hmm. but they're still both interesting in different ways. The first season is based on the book The Sacred Lies of Minot Bly by Stephanie Oakes. I haven't read it, but Stephanie Oakes, I think, also 
was involved in the series somehow. And I, I don't remember if she was a writer or just a consultant or something. But the series came out on Facebook Watch in 2018, oh. <laughs> originally. Oh, weird. <laughs> I know, which I didn't even know was a thing. But oh <laughs> <laughs> <No>, yeah. <laughs> and then the second season came out in 2020, but recently both seasons got acquired by Peacock last year. So they are available for free on there. And this series was created by Raelle Tucker, who has been involved in Jessica Jones, True Blood. I think she produced some Supernatural episodes. But what I found really interesting was for a time in her childhood, she grew up in the Rajneeshi cult, which is out in Oregon, I think. And they have a, there's a Netflix series called Wild Wild Country about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I've watched. Yeah. Have you seen it? No, but I, it's on my list. Yeah. Okay. And the only reason that that is pertinent <laughs> is the first season is all about a girl named Minnow. She's 17. And she lives in the woods with a cult. Her family is in a cult. It's called the Kevinian cult because their leader is named Kevin. And <laughs> sorry. I know it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of silly, but it's also very interesting at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the thing is I find cults so interesting, and I think you do too. Yeah. Because there's always this question of like like from the outside, it looks weird, but I feel like a lot of us would sort of follow the logic of how it grows into a cult. Mm -hmm. So anyway, her family is in this cult. And the thing about it that I thought was kind of silly is they call God Charlie. Okay. And Kevin, Kevin's like, Charlie told me this and Charlie told me that and stuff like that. Okay. So it's, it's very like it seems silly but at the same time you're kind of like okay i i could see why these people would follow him follow this person you know mm -hmm. so what happens is it opens up with minnow coming out of the woods because the whole cult compound has burned down oh. and she has had her hands cut off oh my gosh yeah by by the cult for her crimes and there's an incident right after she gets out of the woods and the sheriff finds her and she has her hands still in her pockets like <gasps> yeah oh it's a little gruesome it's not like terribly gory or anything mm -hmm. but the whole idea is very gruesome i was made very uncomfortable by the reveal of how that happened and stuff like that Ugh. But she gets taken to juvenile detention because of the incident that happens. She basically beats someone up because she thinks he's Charlie. Like, she's not in a very good headspace. Mm -hmm. So she gets taken to juvenile detention. And what I really liked about it is Kevin Carroll plays Dr. Alan Wilson. And he's a forensic psychologist who gets called to the scene. And he spends the whole time, the whole series forging a bond with Minnow and talking about what happened. So there are a lot of flashbacks between what's going on now in Juvie and what happened before in the cult and how it all led up to the fire, the destructive fire. Mm -hmm. So it's 10 episodes, but they're half an hour. 
So I thought that was really fun because, like, it's not a huge time commitment. Okay. But it's long enough that you can fit the story in really well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I don't know if that yeah. sentence makes sense. <laughs> no, yeah. I, okay. I, it's very rare to have a 30-minute drama. Like, yes. that's really, yeah. Yeah, but it's good because it keeps it going at a good clip. Like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of filler, like with longer series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that about it. And the relationship between Alan and Minnow, basically, Alan is not doing well in his life. He's had personal tragedy and he's drinking a lot and stuff like that. But he's, you know, he's pretty broken and Minnow's pretty broken. And they end up forging this friendship of sorts. And I I don't know, I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. And even though the second season is completely different, a completely different story, they do sort of bring that aspect over into the new season. Mm-hmm. The second season is called The Singing Bones. Mm-hmm. And it's about a girl named Elsie who's, when she's three, she's abandoned at a diner by her dad and when the series opens up she's 17 she's in foster care and her dad is in prison and he wants to talk to her for the first time so half of the story is about her finding out like her origin and all of the secrets that her dad kept from her when she was little but also Juliette Lewis is in it and she plays Harper who is (laughs) also sort of a broken character. She's a telemarketer, but she she's also sort of an armchair detective, so she spends a lot of time working on cases for missing people, just like on her own time. And the reasons for that become clear as the series goes on. She's investigating a case of two women who disappeared, I think, in like the 90s. They were musicians, and she gets involved in this case and it dovetails with Elsie's story and they start to work together and get to know each other and they're both very broken but they also again form this bond that is really interesting to see and yeah I don't know they're just they're satisfying because it's not a big time commitment but it's still they're still good stories and the characters are interesting and I just I just really liked them both even though I was very confused at first that, well, not confused, but I didn't realize that the second season was a completely different story at first. Mm-hmm. But as long as you catch on to that, you're you're good. You'll have the right expectations. <laughs> I sort of wish there were a third season that I could watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe there will be. That's great. Maybe, yeah. I definitely think you should check out at least the first season. Yeah, that one in particular sounds really good. I Since it's such a short series, I think that would be awesome. I don't have the non-free version of Peacock, so I wonder how much of it I can even watch. You can watch the whole thing. Oh, you can watch the whole thing? Yeah, I oh, only okay. have the free version. Oh, okay, cool. Well, that that's even more compelling. Great. Yeah. I will definitely check that out. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. So, moving away from television. Yeah. And movies. Yeah. You read a book recently mm-hmm. about writing... Yeah. Whose very title inspires anxiety in me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't even remember where I saw this or saw it recommended, but it's just a Kindle ebook called A Book a Week, and it's by Kate Hall. 
And yeah, so the the premise of the book is here's how to write a book in a week. And I've had an idea to write a book about how to write a book in a weekend. Mm -hmm. But this felt a little more practical. So I, I read it really quickly. And she wrote this book in a week also to prove that here is an example. Okay. The thing I will say, it's a very useful book. But part of her, she writes kind of like quick, self-published, indie, paranormal romance type stuff under multiple pen names and, and things. And I think this is her only job. And she is able to write eight hours a day with nothing else on her plate. Wow, yeah. So bear in mind, that's how she's able to do it. But that her point is, if you do happen to have a week, here is what you can do. But her main points are, you know, plot ahead of time, try to kind of edit as you go, realize that, you know, if you kind of bust out a thousand words an hour, you really can get a short book written in five to seven days. But see, the rest of your month is going to be taken up with polishing it up and cover okay. design and everything else. So it's not that all parts of the book can be done in a week. But if you do have eight hour days to devote to it, you really could do it if you buckle down and have a plan. Okay. And she writes to formulas and outlines and things. So but it just still got me thinking about writing processes in different ways and productivity and how to tackle things when you're sort of dreading them and, and feeling kind of ambivalent or scared about how to get started. And something that I tell students a lot is if, as they're facing whatever kind of writing task or scary thing that they're trying to get done is to adopt the Pomodoro technique. And I honestly can't remember if I've talked about that on the podcast before, but I've recently hit on a way to do Pomodoros in a more fun way. Okay. So I just kind of wanted to talk through that. But before I get into that, what's your... Like you write a lot and you you spend a lot more time on an average week just writing than I do. So what what works for you? Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> the thing is, I don't feel like I write a lot, but or maybe I just feel like I write slowly, even though I spend a lot of time mm -hmm. writing, I think is the issue. Yeah. It always sort of changes. But what has worked for me recently is... I like to have a lot of projects going at once mm -hmm. because if I get stuck on something, I can go to another one. But recently what I've been trying to do is just focus on one. Mm -hmm. So the past couple months I finished a draft of book three in my epic fantasy series. And that was what I was working on for a while. And that was just the, the goal, the end goal in mind, get to the end of the draft and put it aside and move on to the next project. So uh -huh. in May, I had a short story due. So I spent May working on that short story. And in June, I had a short story due. So I spent June working on that. And then July, I was like, okay, now it's time to work on your fantasy screenplay. And what I like to do is, I think I might have picked this up from you, <laughs> is <laughs> I'll map out the length of the thing. So for a short story, it might be 5,000 words. Mm -hmm. For the screenplay, it's 110 pages. For the draft of book three, it was, I think, 90,000 words or 95,000 words. Mm -hmm. So I set the end date of when I want to get to that goal. Mm -hmm. I use pacemaker.press, mm. which is a, a cool tool. It'll let you divide those words into the amount of days you want to work on it. And you could pick like 
well, I'm not going to work on this on Sundays and it'll, it will automatically adjust the, um, the total, the total worth. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And I don't always stick to a schedule, but I do really try to be like, okay, for the screenplay I'm writing, I'm going to write five pages a week. And I try to hit that goal. I think it's similar to what you do with the Pomodoro method. But what I try to do sometimes is like, okay, it's Saturday. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to write 500 words. And then when I get to 500 words, I can go go for a walk or go do dishes yeah. or like, yeah. So it's just really kind of making the time to do it. And I try to be gentle with myself. Like if I don't hit my goal, I'm not going to beat myself up about it, but yeah, try to get back on the wagon the next day, I guess. Yeah, that's good. I forgot about Pacemaker. I just opened that site and I'm seeing lots of really cool data on it and people mm-hmm. using it for novels, for dissertations, for blogs. Yeah, it's very versatile. Yeah, I'm gonna. Cool. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sign up for that. That looks really okay. neat. Yeah. So, for listeners who are not aware of what the Pomodoro method is, and if if I haven't talked about it on the pod yet, the word Pomodoro is Italian for tomato, <laughs> and the reason they call it that is because if you've ever seen manual kitchen timers or egg timers, a lot of the time they are in the shape of a little plastic tomato. So I think it's a funny little fancy type name for something kind of <laughs> mundane. But basically, yeah. it's it's working in timed intervals. And the classic method of Pomodoro is that you do 25 minutes of whatever the work is, writing or grading papers or whatever you're trying to put off that you want to do, <laughs> but are finding it hard to do. So you do that for 25 minutes, you take a five minute break, and you do four cycles of that. And at the end of the fourth, instead of a five minute break, you get a 30 minute break. And I wrote my whole MFA the final draft of my MFA thesis novel, I did that way. I did oh, my cool. dissertation that way. I've done a lot of things that way. When I ghost wrote a romance novel a couple summers ago, I wrote the whole thing that way. Yeah, and it, it really works. But I also sometimes find that 25 minutes can be a little long, mm-hmm. <laughs> even, even yeah. though it's only 25. <laughs> so I will sometimes do 10-minute bursts with like a two-minute break or five-minute break. Or an untimed break where I just say, in my break, I'm going to go do a load of dishes or whatever. So it's just like I've got a finite task to do during my time away from my work. Mm -hmm. But instead of like setting a timer on my phone or my computer where it can be kind of jarring or whatever, I wondered how else you could time those intervals. So I've been experimenting with making Spotify playlists of music that is conducive to working and having a segment of music that is approximately 10 minutes long, followed by a sound effect that is gentle and non-jarring. Okay. And to have like an eight hour long playlist of that where I can just have these 10 minute intervals of like smooth jazz or whatever, and then <laughs> and then a little doorbell sound or whatever. Yeah. So that's been actually my favorite way to do it and really, really good. And it's easy to change the intervals based on if you feel like, well, 15 minutes or 20 minutes would be better. So mm-hmm. you can just put more songs in before the before the sound effect. So that's just another way to do it, which I hadn't yeah. really occurred to me. And I forget how I stumbled on that. I just realized on days when I didn't time my intervals and was just listening to music, I was like, man, it would be really cool if I didn't have to have this extra way of keeping time. And then it just kind of dawned on me, well, I can just use what I'm already doing. There are a bunch of pre-done Spotify Pomodoro playlists out there. Oh, cool. 
So if this appeals to you, just do a little search in Spotify or whatever your music app is that you prefer. And it's not going to be exact, you know, because songs are not precisely 10 or 20 minutes long, obviously. Yeah. But you just, you know, estimate it, you know, some intervals might be 12 minutes long, and that's fine. Some might be eight minutes long. Mm -hmm. But just you've got this sort of measured time and you're not distracted by an unpleasant sound. I use a little doorbell sound for mine because it just sounds like a very gentle little ding. I know that my, this is going to really mess up my Spotify end of year <laughs> track yeah. because I've now listened to the doorbell sound more than any other <laughs> track. So they're going to think this person is really messed up, but it is just for timing purposes. So Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> That I have several different ones now based on different moods that I use. But yeah, I do find for some reason 25 minutes has become a little daunting and too long. So <laughs> 10 is my sweet spot. That makes a lot of sense because, yeah, when I was talking about, okay, you can't do anything else until you get 500 words, mm-hmm. sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that takes me half an hour. Sometimes it yeah. takes me an hour. But if it takes me any longer than that, I'm just like, no, this. <laughs> you're not being productive and you can't just sit here all day writing a sentence every 10 minutes, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I think it's important to know when 25 minutes is going to work and when you might need 10 minutes or 12 minutes or something. Yeah. And you know, with that method, like you said, you could put a bunch in a row if you do want to keep going. So that's really cool. Yeah. I might have to try something like that. Yeah. See if that works for you. And you know, some days it might be that even shorter intervals, there are days when I'll do, all right, just work for one minute, you can just get one minute done, it's fine. And that sounds really silly, but it's often just to get started, you know, yeah. especially if you're returning to work that you haven't looked at for a while, or if you're doing the editing phase of something that you wrote a long time ago, and now you're getting close to publication. Sometimes it's really hard for me to gear up to be editing something that I haven't looked at in a while, you know? Yeah. I definitely know. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, it, you know, you can use other, other methods if you're editing someone else's work. I recently was editing, like, three different stories for three different people. One of them was you. <laughs> but one of them was kind of long, and I just decided I'm just going to do a page at a time and take a break, you know? Yeah. Oftentimes, I would just keep going because I was compelled by the story and do more than that. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of editing for of nonfiction also. So those I really do have to say, let's do one page or one section and take a break. Yeah. But I think the point is, keep those breaks pretty brief, whether you time it or whether you just do a different task that has a finite end to it. You can't then not get back to work. That's the important part. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. Kate Kate Hall has other books on craft that look kind of interesting. And I might pick up some of some of her other ones. But I will say her method is great if you have a really deep attention span, if you do have a week free, if you don't have another job. On the other hand, it may be just something to kind of think of in the background. If you were to write just for an hour a day every month, you would replicate that. And that is the idea of NaNoWriMo. Mm -hmm. And I think people just get really, people who don't write because they want to, often do find writing very intimidating and they don't realize just get something down. Yeah. Get that draft zero down. You're making clay, not a pot. (laughs) And 
the editing process is where the the pot emerges and that's right i just i just encounter so many people who just have this like wall and block and can't really even get started think about that first draft as like if you've got a pen that is almost running out of ink and you need to scribble for a second to get it flowing those first few sentences are just that scribble stuff and that's okay <laughs> and if you can get into the flow and just get something down it'll it'll come yeah i think a lot of us especially when we start out we're sort of focused on perfection or making it yeah. really good and sometimes you just need to put some words on paper and then come back and make those words good yeah i think it was was it Terry Pratchett who said the first draft is telling yourself the story? Yeah, yeah. So that helped me a lot. Yeah, and I can't remember. There's a couple different versions of write with the door shut, edit with the door open, or write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> I was or that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a Stephen King quote. But No, I think that's Hemingway. Is that Hemingway? I okay, think that's that Hemingway. Makes, that makes even more sense. <laughs> but just that, that first draft is just going to be like, you know, get it on the page, get something on the page, mm -hmm. and then shape it later. So anyway, in terms of productivity, don't be thinking perfection in that first draft. The other, I mean, if, if we were taking this even further with how to get students on board with some of this, to actually do that editing, don't just submit the first draft word vomit. <laughs> you need to actually go back and reread it. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's important. That's, yeah, it's very important. So do you think you could write a book in a week? I do. Yeah, I do think so. I <laughs> don't know that it would be a very happy week. It might also <laughs> depend what it is. If I'm, if it's, if it's fully fiction and just fluff and just fun, I think I could. It would be pretty messy and need a lot of work. Do you think you could? As my life stands right now, having a full-time job, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't think I could based on my current schedule, but if yeah. I had a week free and really had nothing else to work on, I do think I could. If you had a full week free and you weren't going to do anything that you enjoyed, <laughs> I think yeah. you could, though. I think I probably I think you, could. Yeah. It would have to be a project I really, really liked. Yeah. And that's another piece of advice that I very much like, and I've heard a lot of people in our program say it, but write the story that gets your butt in the chair. So yeah. it would, I would have to be very excited about it, I think, to want to spend yeah. a whole week immersed in it. Yeah. All right. Well, next week, we're talking about the Murderbot novella, All Systems Red, the Disney Plus series, Loki, and the Hulu series, Nine Perfect Strangers. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you want to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. You can also find our website at positivelypopculture.com. And please rate us and review us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.